Find the life you didn't think was possible with the Jesus you never knew. Together, let's slow down a little and pay better attention to the most significant person in history. Welcome to the podcast, Paying Ridiculous Attention to Jesus, with your hosts, Rick Lawrence and Becky Hodges, brought to you by Lifetree. Visit us at JesusCenteredLife.com. Hi, listeners. This is Season 2, Episode 46, brought to you by Lifetree at JesusCenteredLife.com. Hey, welcome back to our series in November about the Kingdom of God, and welcome back to Becky Nader. Hello. Hello, Becky Nader. It's good to have you back. If you're just joining us in our, our first episode of this short three three episode series on the Kingdom of God, we just sort of laid a foundation for what is the Kingdom of God anyway. I mean, we hear it talked about so much at church, and you know, it's all throughout the New Testament. In fact. Jesus mentions the kingdom 37 times in the Gospel of Matthew alone. It's mentioned 86 times in the four Gospels. As we've mentioned in that first episode, many believe that the the primary focus of Jesus' ministry was helping people understand what the kingdom was. And he didn't just say, I'm coming here to tell you about the kingdom. He, he said, I am the kingdom. <laughs> so we'll talk about that in just a minute as well. But it's a huge, huge focal point for Jesus, and we hear it so much in the Church, but it's one of those things where you hear it enough, you think you know it, and then you stop and you have to think about, well, what, what is that, really? Or you heard it, but you're embarrassed to say that you don't know what it means. Not that that ever would happen. You don't want to wanna let the yeah. other Christians know that, that you don't... You, that you don't understand that a you basic, don't really a basic thing. That you don't really understand what the kingdom of heaven is. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That would so be we, really embarrassing. So we like we like to substitute by saying, uh, I'm living in the kingdom, or that's kingdom living, or other silly, jargony things that we say that make people that are not in the church avoid us and walk across the street. Yeah. So the, we tried to set a, a basis or a foundation for understanding the kingdom of God, and that's in episode 44, if you want to go back and take a look at that. And then episode 45, I had Craig Cable on as our guest, who's a tactical security expert for church security, and wow, was that eye-opening, the things that he knows and does on a regular basis in his church. And the reason we had Craig on is to talk about this tension between trust and security, and with all of the stuff happening around in our culture right now that makes us feel insecure, and now a new focus on security in churches, where does trust come in? Because in the kingdom of God, everything rests on whether you trust the king or not. Because if you don't trust the king, because the king is bad or because the king can't be counted on, life in a kingdom is bad then. Trust is everything. You ha- we have to come to a place where we have decided that the king's heart is good. And in the case of Jesus, he's both perfect and good. And so how, how do we develop that kind of trust when all around us seems scary and anxiety-producing? It's it's a real issue for us, trust and the restoration of it. So that was uh, last week, that was episode 45. This week, we're going to focus on some of the contrasts of the kingdom of God with our own reality, the, our everyday reality, values and beliefs and practices and purposes that we've sort of inherited as human beings, and how does the kingdom of God's values and purposes and beliefs and regular practices contrast with that? so that we get a sense of what it's like to live practically to advance the kingdom of God in our everyday life. It sounds really epic, doesn't it? Advancing the kingdom of God in our everyday life. But it's possible to live 
in a kingdom of God way and advance it on earth. That's what it means to be light in the midst of darkness. So so that's what we're going to uh, focus on today, and we're, we're going to try to get to this practical level so that, that we know what it looks like for us today and tomorrow to live this way. So, hey, Becky, so if you heard somebody say, kingdom living, like, what would you think of? What's the first thing that pops into your head if somebody said, kingdom living? Well, I think that probably I would think that that person is trying to take off the mindset of the world that they live in and put on a mindset of how Jesus would want them to live differently. And I think that a lot of times when you hear, you know, I'm just living for the kingdom today, sometimes I think people are saying that because they're going through something really hard and they're trying to put their hope in something bigger. And they're just like, I'm just just living for the kingdom today. You know, Mm -hmm. like I'm just holding on to Jesus. I got a lot going on. And I'm just hoping it's going to come. And I think that that's generally when when you hear that, you know, your response is like, you know, keep going, keep persevering, you can do it. That kind of mentality, even though from an outsider, we probably sound really ridiculous, Crazy. like yeah. you were saying. Well, it, <laughs> what are they talking about? What the heck? Why didn't you just say you're sad? <laughs> well, these people, they have good reason to think that this is, sounds strange. Even when you, if you plug Kingdom Living, for instance, into Google and see what comes up. What happened? You you only get Christian church references. Okay. It's like there's no... This is a church thing. Right. So if you if you search for what is it like to live in a kingdom, like the first five pages are all, are so all Christian related. it's alien world to the rest yeah, of the world. Yeah, because we don't use, nobody uses that kind of terminology, but but underneath that is a real profound truth. We live according to the cultural norms that we attach ourselves to, and those cultural norms come from, quote-unquote, the kingdom that we're living under. And that means, what are we essentially, at our core, obeying? What are we adhering to? What are we doing and not doing based on what we think is right and not right, based on how we've been formed by our culture? So when you say kingdom living, we're really trying to reference a contrast uh, from whatever life is like in a normal way, in our normal culture, to whatever life is like in the kingdom of God. So this week, I had our our little group, our, our Pursuing the Heart of Jesus, Not His Recipes group, tackle the kingdom of God, and I called it uh, the kingdom of God in four videos. So we showed four videos, and I think the first one was um, I showed a video of what life is like in the royal family with William and Kate and their two kids in the UK, and it was kind of one of those uh, Good Morning America, you know, morning show uh, little featurettes on life behind the wall and what it's like to live as a royal, and so we watched that to kind of get our minds around, you know, wow, uh, living amongst royalty and having a monarch is kind of a bizarro thing, and to actually be in the royal family is a super bizarro thing. So we watched that and talked a little bit about what are some of the differences between what we think of as a kingdom and a democracy, like what we live in today, and what what are some of those differences? And there was some fascinating stuff that people pointed out, like, you know, in a in a kingdom, you don't get to vote. You you know who the successor is going to be, so you have no control over who's going to be your next leader. You have absolutely no voice over that in a in a true functioning kingdom, and you're at the mercy of whether that person's good or not. And and we talked about well, how does a how does a kingdom maintain its authority in a culture? And and uh, <laughs> these kids pointed out some stuff I hadn't thought about, like, 
in a kingdom, if you want to maintain your authority in that kingdom, one thing you might do is identify any that are trying to take your job as king and kill them before they get, gather enough support and power to topple you. And you can see this throughout the Old Testament. This happens. This even happened with King David. One of his own sons had designs on being king and tried to kill his, kill his dad and take over. And so what does David do? Does he kill his own son? He refused to do that. Uh, and eventually his son dies, and David mourns him, even though he knew his son was trying to kill him. So th- we, we had this kind of conversation, like, well, it's not that easy to hang on to a kingdom in some ways. Uh, and then we watched uh, a short clip from The Lion King of Mufasa talking with Scar early on about Simba being born, and that Simba would soon be Scar's king. And in this scene, Scar, the evil brother, says, basically, there's no way that that little ball of fur is going to be my king. I'm never going to bow to that that little kid. So it, then you get this sense of, well, w- what is it like to have a succession in a kingdom? And then we watched uh, a little whiteboard video about that was describing what the kingdom of God is really like. But then the fourth video is the one I want to uh, focus on here, which was fascinating. It's a short clip from a documentary on the Lost Boys of Sudan. And the Lost Boys of Sudan are young boys who were orphaned during the violence in Sudan, and there was uh, tens of thousands of these boys who lived on the street, and they had nowhere to go and no one to help them, and it became a huge problem in Sudan. And along the way, some mission agencies and organizations in America were trying to bring some of the Lost Boys over here to America to replant them out of Sudan in in a, a healthy environment. So in this documentary, you see a group of these Lost Boys who literally went from living in the bush in Sudan to being plunked down into Pittsburgh <laughs> and having to learn how to make it in Pittsburgh and, and acclimate to a new culture. And What's fascinating about this, it was about a seven-minute clip or so. You see them before they get on the airplane to go to the United States, and they're talking about what they expect to see when they get to the United States, even though they've never traveled outside their village. So they, they've never experienced electricity, so they think electricity is something you hold and have to learn how to use. They've never experienced uh, running water, you know, uh, water on demand in their... They don't know what a shower is. They're, ta- they're talking about, oh, you hear all this stuff about a shower, people washing themselves in a shower. We don't know what that is. So they have all these questions, and then they get in the airplane, and they're served airplane food. And they, they have food that they've never seen before. And so one of them eats a butter patty and is trying to figure out, is this food? What do I do with this? And he eats a, 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 just a whole butter patty. He says, oh, this tastes like soap. What is this stuff? Another one opens a mayonnaise packet and just squirts it into his mouth. He's trying to figure out what all this stuff is. That's and so the, the verdict, they don't much like airplane food. No, it's <laughs> gross. So then they land in Pittsburgh, and they have somebody who meets them in their new apartment who uh, doesn't explain the clip, but it, it looks like he's a person who's from Sudan but now is an American citizen who's going to help them acclimate to their first to their new apartment. So he's showing them around their apartment, showing them some of the food that's already been stocked in their pantries, like... A, a bag of potato chips. He has to explain to them, these are potatoes, but they've actually cut them up and pre-cooked them and put them in a bag. So he's trying to explain potato chips to them. There's an open window in the kitchen, and he tells them, here in America, you can't just throw your garbage out the window. This is my favorite tip. I think this is a good tip. 
Don't throw your garbage out the window. <laughs> yeah. If That's you're, like the basics of American living. Yeah, don't you, do that. If you're <laughs> tempted to do that, don't. Uh, yeah, yeah, use it, a trash can. <laughs> yeah. Keep the windows closed. So he shows him how to use a trash can and shows him how the electricity works in the apartment. So then you see a scene of them going to a swimming pool and all these little kids asking them questions about where they're from and a lot of Americans talking to them, making broad assumptions that... They have. They must have feel like they have so much more freedom now that they're in America, not knowing anything about their life in Sudan, and maybe not even realizing that these guys maybe had a different kind of freedom in Sudan than they've ever experienced. But what you get is this picture of disorientation of these guys, and they're just struggling to understand um, what life is going to be like for them, and nothing makes it like. They get the police called on them because they always travel in the in a group. So they go into stores and stuff in this group of young black black guys, and it makes the store owners nervous. So they call the police. Well, the these the the lost boys are like, well, we always travel with each other. We don't travel alone like you Americans. And one of them says, Americans aren't very friendly. They just walk down the street and they never talk to anybody. And and you can't just go to somebody's house and knock on it and be welcomed in and and get to know them. They pe- people here in America feel like they've been you know, like intruded upon when you do that. And that's just normal for us. I don't understand. So there's all these things that they're trying to understand that are really hard because they've been grown up in a context that they don't have any uh, sense of what life is like there in America. So so they need someone—we were talking about this with some leaders here at, at Group, and uh, one of them said— yeah, the, the, these guys need someone like that guy in the in the documentary who understands life in Sudan and also understands life in America, so that they can make some connections for these guys and help them acclimate. And yes, that's actually the role of Jesus. <laughs> he uh, hit the incarnation in part. That that is the purpose of it. So the Jesus becoming a human a human being and living among us is a way of us having a translator between the kingdom of God and what we are used to, because Jesus understands both worlds. Uh, we're going to explore in just a minute some of the pragmatic ways Jesus tried to make that translation, make those connections for us. But first, let's talk a little bit about some of our own experiences, Becky, about in other cultures. So I've just described the, the Lost Boys of Sudan trying to acclimate to another culture, the United States. What about you and I? How have we? How have you and I sort of tried to acclimate in other cultures? And you told me earlier today uh, uh, that you spent some time in Romania. Yep, I've spent some time in Romania, and it wasn't as as a tourist. It was actually leading college missions trips to Romania. We would select about seventeen college students every year, and we would do like a whole year of training, and then we would go for a few weeks. Um, and we would stay in people's homes while we were there, so everybody stayed in the home of someone. Um, and so you were very much immersed in the culture um, while you were there. And part of the reason why we had to do a whole year of training with these college students is actually the whole time what we were doing was, this is what you're going to expect when you get there, and this is why it's different from what you're used to. So some of the cultural and, – and the reason is because we were there to train college students in Romania. Romania just – recovered from communism in 1981. So that's the year I was born. So they were very much newly out of communism. And as a result of that, what happened is the culture became very apathetic because they were used to not having to do anything to get what they needed. And and as a result, the idea of community service 
Mm. was a lost idea on them, but they had a lot of needs in their community. So we were going there to, to train their college leaders, college age leaders, about community service and how that was the work of Jesus, and then for them to introduce more people to that concept. So we worked um, on orphanages that rep- rescued um, uh, kids out of child prostitution. We did, uh, f- like there was a, quite a few farms um, that had been basically you know, abandoned during communism that they were trying to get their agriculture back and they were trying to to kind of reinvigorate that, but they needed a lot of cleanup in order to um, get working. So we did a, like a lot of hard labor while we were there. And one of the biggest things was just, what do you do when people are just apathetic and they don't understand that what it means to have to serve someone else in your community and help? Let me, um, let me, let me pause there. So from an American point of view, this is a high value in America. Yeah. Yeah, that we... We, service we we, we, we serve we, we feel good when we see people doing it right we and and if a community needs something we think of it as a high value in our culture that we meet that need the hurricanes and, are a great example yeah. of America doing what it does best so now you're in Romania I, I bet it must have been tempting to think are these people lazy no and that's what you have to be careful of is it, you know that's why we spent so much time time training our college students because that would be the kinds of people who are attracted to going to a missions trip have a big heart for service. And so that's exactly what they would think. And then they would end up not being able to connect with the people that they were there. So it was really important for them to not think that when they got there. And you know and that's and that is cultural acclimation. It you, is. It's it's trying to figure out, okay, this is my natural reaction because yep. this is what I normally would think. But I, I can't think that way when I'm in that culture because the they have I won't different be able markers. To- I won't be able to have any impact here Yeah. if you do that. And the, another great example is the kinds of students that were attracted to go on missions trips were also usually excellent college students. They were honor students. And in Romania, because they really did, hadn't even recovered to the point where they had a good college system or you know, ways for, for students go, to go to college, none of these people had any inclination that they could ever think that large for themselves. Nobody in their family was helping them to think bigger than themselves. And so again, that could be another roadblock in being able to be able to reach this area is, well, I'm a straight A student. I'm highly driven. Why don't you want to go to school? And then you can make that your whole focus. Well, why don't you think about going to college? And and that frustrates them. It becomes becomes an issue of right and wrong somewhere in there that that there's something morally wrong with your culture. So the point is that when, even when we decide to go to another country and we want to help them, we have to spend quite a bit of time figuring out how do we understand the culture we're about to go into so that we can actually help them realize, you know, how they can better themselves, how they can, you know, better serve the Lord that they seek. And and they loved Jesus, but the, again, this is a culture that was under... A, a, a kind of regime that was um, debilitating to them. Some other funny things is that when you go to Romania, don't order the pizza. <laughs> they think that ketchup is a suitable sauce for pizza. It's not delicious. Another thing is that this was just a reality. There's no way around it. If you are eating as a guest in a in a home where you're staying, you eat whatever is put in front of you. 
and their delicacy is charred liver. <laughs> and so everywhere you went, you were a guest, and guess what they wanted to serve you? Charred liver. <laughs> so, and you think about the, when I talk very gross. when I talked about the Lost Boys of Sudan trying to eat airplane food and just trying to get used to American food in general. Their response wasn't what an American would think. Oh, they're finally getting good food here in America. Their response was, "This food is terrible. This is disgusting. <laughs> this is not at all what I like, and I not what I'm used I to. I want to go back to my charred liver, <laughs> right? And so it, I, it kind of helps to see it from both sides. I, I was in uh, Poland for about ten days right after college. It's a long story, but I was a photographer for an all women's choir <laughs> going through. Uh, Poland, uh, mostly staying in Poland, and we went all over the country, but we uh, ate in restaurants, and I remember one of the first times we ate in a restaurant, they served like a, a salad, you know, like you would get at an American restaurant, they'd serve you a salad before your entree. Well, the salad they served us was this sort of yellow, gelatinous, jello mold thing on a little plate, and I and I looked at it when they set it down, and it had like about 12 or 13 suspended peas in this yellow gelatinous stuff. And I said, oh, what is this? And somebody said, that's animal fat that's coagulated into a jello mold, and then it, it has some suspended peas in it. It and makes it easy for you to eat your to peas, eat it. Right? Yeah, you can eat your gelatinous whatever with a fork. You could probably have eaten with it a fork and a knife, actually. It was that thick. And I did not eat it because I couldn't imagine keeping it down. So these are—oh, and when we were in Poland— Two, uh, it was still an Eastern Bloc country at the time that I went, and we were warned by uh, one of our tour guides who took a liking to this group that we should be very careful of anything we said in any hotel. And we said, why? And he said, because all of the hotel rooms that tourists stay in are bugged. And we were like, are you serious? Is this like a movie? No, he was dead serious. And we saw a lot of stuff that, that is normal in a totalitarian state that we could not imagine in America. And if you think about how that how would that form you if you were in a culture where you could be bugged at any time and have no recourse and not know when the police were going to show up and knock on your door because of some stray thing you said in private, that would really form your expectations. Now, now you move to America. What would your sensibilities be like? So just like you said before, Becky, if we're formed— by a culture that creates sensibilities in us that uh, are like breathing to us. And along comes a kingdom of God culture, mm -hmm. and Jesus says, you have to understand what this kingdom is about, what our values are in the kingdom of God, and how to live in it, because actually your job description here on earth is to bring the kingdom of God into earth, in, into your relationships, into your everyday interactions. This is what I'm trying to help you to do. So I'm trying to help you learn what your native country is really like, even though you've never been to your native country. <laughs> it's like being, it's like if you were born in Spain, but moved to the United States before you were a toddler. You would know nothing about the culture of Spain, even though you were born in Spain. And what Jesus is saying is when we are born again, as he said to Nicodemus, we're born into the kingdom of God, and that is our true home. So now he's trying to help us understand what life's like in our true home and how to start acting like people who are natives of, of that culture. So 
let's uh, transition into that. By the way, we, I think we talked about in a previous episode about the kingdom of God, about the parables of the yeast and the, and the mustard seed. Um, we kind of went into, into depth about the, these two parables that are kind of linked together where a small thing makes a huge difference in a much larger thing. So the yeast leavens the whole dough, and this mustard seed is the smallest of seeds, but if you plant it, it grows into this huge tree where birds can come to nest in it. These are parables that Jesus is telling, and they have the same message from two different angles. It's that a small thing can grow into a really big thing in the kingdom of God. And if you think about, okay, so how does that, well, how does that matter on an everyday basis? What would it be like for us to embrace this truth about the kingdom, that a small thing makes a big difference, and live it out in our everyday life? So we've heard some stories even around here recently, Becky, about uh, people, for instance, who get our soul feed care packages, college students who get our soul feed care packages. That it's, a, it's a monthly care package that has a devotional resource with it, and there's lots of snack, healthy snacks and fun stuff to do, and it's, it's a way for parents to give to their students on a monthly basis and say, you're cared for, but it's also a way to keep them connected in their relationship with God. It's called Soul Feed. We'll put a link to this on this podcast. I just actually saw the, the finals box, which if you're listening to this episode and you know a college student, it's actually not too late to send a finals box. Finals is such a stressful time for students. This is just a segue. It has nothing to do with the kingdom. I'm sorry. I just have to tell you because I just saw it and it's so great. But the the devotion this month is so great. It's all about just giving your cares back to Jesus and um, but relating it to what they're going through right now. And I was just approving the box because they're going to start shipping them next week. And I just was like, yay, I love this box. It's so great. It's so timely. Well, what's interesting about this and, and lots of things we do here is these things are very personal to the people that, that get them. And that we just heard this story this last week about a woman who, who got this soul feed service for her daughter in college and developed a relationship with our friend Cami, who created Soul Feed. And over email, they 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 developed a relationship. This this woman was a academic at a Christian school and was a little bit skeptical about this whole thing until she found out more about it. And then she developed this relationship with Cami. And it turns out that her daughter came home from school to go to her uh, little sister's first drama production and had some kind of accidental fall at her home and actually died. And the mother was contacting Cammy to let her know she didn't need the soul feed delivery anymore because her daughter had just died in this horrible, traumatic fall at home. And what struck me about that is that she contacted Cammy to tell her about what had happened to her because she wanted Cammy to know the trauma that was going on in their family, and that they had a relationship. Yeah, that triggered a whole a response from yeah. tr- from Cammy. It wasn't and, about the cancellation; it was about that she actually needed her friend Cammy, that she had developed a relationship with, and that understood where she was at in her, in this season of life, and she actually needed Cammy to talk to her. So that's what we do here. And it's that, beyond product, that, that's that's a great way of putting it too. That's what we do here, and and we, the reason I'm telling you this story is that a small thing. A one person, a small delivery of this box to a college dorm room, for us, that represents a huge thing, because that one small act, that one person matters. 
And if that one person's life is changed, think of the number of other lives that person is connected to that also change. And you guys who are listening to this, many of you know this already, if you're on our Pigs page, the page that is for fans of this podcast, uh, we'll put a link to the Pigs page on this podcast as well if you want to be a part of that community. There are so many stories represented on that page of small things that have been said on this podcast or read in one of the resources we've said that have changed someone's life in a, in a, a huge way. A small thing said, a small thing read, grows up into a huge thing that changes somebody's life and, and by extension, changes all the lives around them. So this is a way to think about, if a, king, if a kingdom of God value is a small thing can be a big thing, how can I live my life honoring the small things, not poo-pooing them, not uh, denigrating them just because they're small? How can I do that? So we're going to uh, jump into some of the parables that Jesus told, starting from Matthew 18, just, just to get a look at what he was trying to help us to understand about values in the kingdom of God and how they might translate to our everyday life. Jesus told his parables as a way to translate the culture of the kingdom of God into the culture that we are familiar with so that we could better live in the kingdom of God. So the first one we're going to look at is in Matthew 18, it's verses 12 through 14. Um, these are kind of obvious when Jesus tells one of these. In fact, any time he tells a story, you can assume he's trying to translate the culture of the kingdom of God into our culture. So here's this one called the parable of the lost sheep, starting in verse 12. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others on the hills and go out and search for the one that's lost? And if he finds it, I tell you the truth, he will rejoice over it more than over the 99 that didn't wander away. In the same way, it is not my heavenly Father's will that even one of these little ones should perish. So Jesus is saying, let me tell you a story about something that's really true about the culture and the kingdom of God. So when I read that, Becky, what, is, what, what do you think the value that Jesus is trying to express is here? Well, I think that this is one of my favorite passages. I think that in our American culture, and, and probably this is not just an American thing, I think that we have a tendency to spend a lot of time chasing after the 99 things. You know, Which represents what to you? Money, or maybe it's your to-do list. I mean, there's possessions that you have. You're looking for the higher quantity. We're always looking for the higher quantity. We're Americans. We want more time. <laughs> we want more money. <laughs> we, we want, you know... The more, bigger, the better. More of everything. Yep, the bigger, bigger, the better. The bigger the house, the better the house. Yep, and so it's, it is counterintuitive to think about one chasing after one thing and then also that if we got that one thing that that would actually be more valuable than the 99 things so i have five sisters and one of my sisters oh my goodness she had my mother on her knees praying for most of her life <laughs> and i think that I rejoice so much over her because she persevered and she changed her life around and just in a magnanimous way. And I, whenever I hear this story, I actually think of her. I just think about how much Jesus rejoices over her 
her return. And, and even though she caused a lot of pain <laughs> to her family along the way, um, she she was a late bloomer. But she she's just it's such a joy to see how her life turned around. And um, and we just you know, we don't think that way. That's not actually how we usually think. Um, and so this is counterintuitive. This is a, a new kind of idea for us to put on in the world we live in every day. Yeah, and if you think about so, so Jesus is also saying here, you know, I, I don't really relate to the crowd. I only relate to individuals. I'm not seeing you as an aggregate. I'm not seeing you as a, even, even as a family. I see you as a unique individual. When he says, I've numbered the hairs on your head, or uh, what do you think? Not even a sparrow falls without me knowing it. The way you just said that made me think about how I worked in ministry, and I know there's a lot of you out there who... Either you work in full-time ministry or you're very involved in your church. And I remember hearing this a lot, that we have to think about the, the overall, the bigger good. We can't think about just the individual, you know, one person's individual needs. We have to think about what's best for the greater. So from the church perspective, this is an interesting passage to unpack, because what does that mean? What does it mean to say that in the kingdom of God, we we go after the ones, we go after the individual's we look for one-on-one relationships, and especially in churches in America that are starting to get larger, yeah. more technology. It's not something we talk about Let, on the show. And let's pause for just a second and just think through the transition from this into things that you notice about yourself in your everyday life that uh, support and even honor mm-hmm. this, this. And I'm thinking about, for me, the way this translates, because as you get deeper into the heart of Jesus, you get his heart. And these are things that are in his heart that he's not just saying this is a principle of the kingdom of God. He's trying to describe the nuances of his heart and why his heart goes to the places it does. So for me, the part of this translation is, as I sank deeper into Jesus, I found myself becoming much more curious, much more fascinated with people. I was far more interested in asking questions and not giving up in asking questions. This is when I started to ask follow-up questions with people, and then I became passionate about it, that I wouldn't just ask people one question and then not follow it up with another question and not follow that up with another question. This is when I, I started to sort of drill down into who people are, and what I discovered is that you, you know most people would say... Uh, yeah, we don't want to drill down too quickly with somebody, or we don't want to go too far. Or we we want to make sure that we don't make them uncomfortable or nervous or feel awkward about what we're doing. And honestly, as I have pursued people, I have rarely had the experience where somebody didn't eventually open up and share who they were with me. I wasn't pushy about it or anything. I just was persistent and interested and curious. I think that translates well into the 99 on the hillside who are sitting over here grazing, and the one who's sort of in trouble and and needs attention, needs focus. There are so many people who feel like that one sheep caught in the brambles. When you go out to, you know, hang out with a bunch of girlfriends, you know, and it's a big group. I haven't done that recently, well, actually. Well, there are girls who are on this podcast, and I'm talking to you right now. You're going <laughs> to relate to this. You go out with a bunch of girlfriends, and you're hanging out, 
And you know what happens when you're in a big group like that? Unless the whole group is super comfortable getting real with each other and, you know, but if it's a bunch of girlfriends and everybody's on varying levels and there's some people you don't feel more, you you feel more or less comfortable talking to, what happens is you go hang out with your girlfriends and as you get older and you get busier and you have, have kids, maybe you have less and less time like this, you don't end up sharing what's actually going on in your life. And that can feel really lonely. I think that's a really great example of the 99 and the one. But when you go out one-on-one with a girlfriend that you really trust, and then all of a sudden you open up and you get healing and you get help and you get prayer, that is how I see this working out is that we have, you know, intentionally, I think we have to seek out that one-on-one time with people and then also you know, we need to make sure that we're organizing our relationships in such a way that there is safe space for one-on-one conversations where people can open up and get real. And the other aspect of this I think about is uh, I just saw a part of a documentary that um, we're producing right now. It's a story about a man in the Philippines who um, was an American who moved to the Philippines after a painful divorce. Uh, He was a broken man. He, He contemplated suicide. I don't know the whole backstory yet, but he became aware of a problem in the Philippines of all of these children who are born deaf. There's a problem in the Philippines of deafness, and when he became aware of how many kids were in this situation, were getting no education, and they were ostracizing the culture, he started a a ministry to these kids, that uh, almost like a boarding school, where they could come and live and go to school and out of this, he started 10 businesses, and I'm watching this guy. He's just a guy from America who was absolutely broken when he moved to the Philippines, and he starts this tiny thing. It started with just one kid, two kids, three kids. Mm-hmm. It's now grown into dozens and dozens of these kids, and 10 businesses that help support financially the whole enterprise so that these kids are getting the kind of education they really need. And I'm looking at a visual of the mustard seed, or the the one sheep, where really everything starts with just one person. When we think about how can I really impact the world, well, impact one person. That's how it starts. And impact that one person with your full attention, mm-hmm. and then impact another person with your full attention, yeah. and then watch what happens. It grows and explodes from there into something so large, like in the case of this man's ministry in the Philippines— that image of the birds coming to nest in the mustard seed tree limbs, that's what I saw. All of these kids who had no place to go now have a place to nest. I think it, that oftentimes when I start down a path of wanting to, like my focus is on the big numbers from the beginning, like and I already know if the only way this is going to be seen as successful is if you know it's really successful by, because a lot of people are into it. I really, I've often found that Jesus is like, that's funny. (laughs) I'm going to make it successful if one person is impacted by it. And I I think about the way that we started this podcast. And I think that both of us were like, well, if one person listens to it. (laughs) And Jesus has been continually blessing us with more and more people that are coming to listen to this. But, you know, even in our mindset, I think I have to check myself sometimes because I'm in marketing. And so I'm yes. measured by by big numbers. Um, and I have to constantly remind myself, well, 
that may be what they're calling success, but actually I need to focus on what Jesus calls success. And his numbers are, are rarely as big as yeah, ours. Jesus's math is is totally different than our math. That's what he's trying to say with the 99 and the 1. And, and this what you just described is so insidious. There has to be a lot of numbers in order for this to be considered success. But think about Jesus's math here. If he considers every life of inestimable value, it's impossible that an additional number would make that of more value. If it has, if one life has an infinite value, that it's impossible to add numbers to that that make it greater than infinity. This is how Jesus looks at things. So it, it's bizarre, it's backwards. We, we would think the greater the number, the better, but Jesus, uh, you know, applied his math on that hillside <laughs> when, he, when he said nine times in a row, eat my buddy and drink my blood— and he drove away tens of thousands of people, so they only had a handful of people left. He was perfectly content with this math, because he was not interested in the numbers, the masses. He was interested in 12 people whose lives would be transformed, and later, like the mustard seed growing into the tree, would expand so far into the world that you and I are sitting here talking about him right now. We are birds that are nesting in that tree right now from Jesus, what Jesus did in that moment. So living your life, uh, advancing the kingdom of God based on this one parable means that you value the individual way more than the culture does, that you pay attention to the individual, and you're available to the individual, and your standards for success are all about the individual, not the mass. I think we could do one more parable here before we close it off today. Let's skip over to, to Matthew 20. This is called the parable of the vineyard workers. So we'll read this, and then we'll make another translation into everyday life from this one. Parable of the vineyard workers. Jesus is speaking here, and he says, For the kingdom of heaven is like the landowner who went out early one morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay the normal daily wage and sent them out to work. Well, at nine o'clock in the morning, he was passing through the marketplace and saw some people standing around doing nothing. So he hired them, telling them he'd pay them whatever was right at the end of the day. So they went to work in the vineyard. And at noon again, and again at three o'clock, he did the same thing. And at five o'clock that afternoon, he was in town again. And he saw some more people standing around. He asked them, well, why haven't you been working today? And they replied, well, because nobody hired us. Well, the landowner told them, well, well, then go out and join the others in my vineyard. Well, that evening, he told the foreman to call the workers in and pay them, beginning with the last workers first. When those hired at 5 o'clock were paid, each received a full day's wage. When those hired first came to get their pay, they assumed they would receive more, but they too were paid a day's wage. When they received their pay, they protested to the owner. Those people worked only one hour, and yet you paid them just as much as you paid us who worked all day in the scorching heat. Well, the landowner answered him, Friend, I haven't been unfair. Didn't you agree to work all day for the usual wage? Take your money and go. I wanted to pay this last worker the same as you. Is it against the law for me to do what I want with my money? Should you be jealous because I'm kind to others? So those who are last now will be first then, and those who are first will be last, Jesus says at the end. Uh Uh-oh. That's not fair. It's not fair at all. We don't like that. Oh, this is it. This is such an uncomfortable story. Oops. So... So it's not that uncomfortable if we think, oh, this is just Jesus telling a story. He's doing, he's doing a teaching here. But put yourself in the story. 
You're the one who worked all day long in the scorching heat. Yes, you agreed to uh, work for a day's wage. But then you see this guy come in 15 minutes before the, the bell sounds and you're done. And he works for 15 minutes and then he gets paid the same as you. It's like 100% of us would say, hey, there's is, something wrong here. This is anti-American. <laughs> <laughs> we can't handle this. So what do you think What do you think is the value Jesus is trying to get at here? There, there might be more than one. So what, what, what? I think, I mean, he's saying that regardless of how well you serve and how long you serve. So, you know, I became a Christian in my 20s and I went to school and worked with people who came to the Lord when they were in the nursery at church, you know, and they, you know, they obeyed and did all the right things for many, many years. And, you know, there was probably some of them that felt like they deserved more from him, you know, and that as a result, they were going to have perfect marriages. And, you know, I have several friends in that camp who would say today, you know, I thought I did all the right things and that when I got married and, and started having a family that it would be perfect. And so it just seems unfair that now, you know, maybe they're divorced or maybe they're having really bad marital problems or they can't have kids and that's devastating. And they're angry with God because we value fairness is a is a very high value in the culture that we live in. And what Jesus is saying is in my culture, fairness isn't valuable to me. I'd pay what I'm going to pay because I'm the king, and that's how it's going to go. What's interesting, too, in this whole issue, I think you've really targeted the, the, the thing that, that gets our blood boiling here, the thing about fairness, but he's also very pointedly saying, I don't give a rip about how you compare yourself to others. Mm. I don't care what you think. In uh, I'm not interested in, in comparisons between you and other people. This whole deal is between you and me just between you and me. Yeah. If I choose to behave differently with someone else, that's between that person and me. So you can find your story to your story. Yep. Don't start merging your story with other people's stories and starting to compare, is this person better off? Why did God treat them better than me? He's trying to say, I want you to live out your story with me, not in comparison with others. So the thing I think about uh, where this was sort of lived out, Jesus lived this out, was at the very end, uh, right before his ascension, when he's walking with Peter down the beach, and um, Jesus is basically telling Peter, uh, Peter, you know that thing that you really wanted to do? You wanted to die for me. Guess what? You're going to. You're going to get your wish, Peter, and, and it's not going to be pleasant, but the thing that you ran away from before is going to happen to you. You're going to die for me. And so Peter's like listening to this, wow, and hear that from Jesus, wow. And then he looks behind him, and he sees John walking about 10 steps behind him, and he goes, hey, well, Jesus, what about him? Is, is he going to die, too? Is, is he going to die? And Jesus says, hey, his story is none of your business. None of your business. Yeah. You're, I'm talking to you right now. Yeah. This is between you and me. Whatever happens to John happens to John. That's between John and I. But I'm talking to you about your story here, and I think this is a huge deal in our everyday life because we are so often tempted to either feel good or feel like we're normal or we're being successful 
or we're being treated fairly or feel good about ourselves in comparison to others, whether it's in our neighborhood or our church or wherever. Even when even with your kids, hmm. even with your kids, you know, I think that a lot of times parents, if your kids walked away from the Lord, that can be an all-consuming fear for you. It can be an all-consuming fear and worry, and you can spend a lot of time focusing on controlling that, changing it, praying for it, talking in prayer groups constantly about it. And I think that it's kind of freeing to say, I understand he's your kid, but he's actually, he's not yours. And what what's going to happen is is kind of none of your business. And sometimes we have to just step away. We can still pray, but we can't be consumed by it. And I've, I've seen people get really consumed, even in our kids, even in your marriage, especially in your marriage, what God's doing in your husband or your wife's lives, it's none of your business. You sometimes have to just let him do what he's going to do. And it doesn't mean you can't still be there praying, but he's not going to tell you everything that's going on. Their relationship is between him and them. So, And we have all these markers in our lives. Let me give you an example of, of a marker in my life. So I'm an author. I've written three dozen books or so. And uh, the other day, in my new book, Spiritual Grit, which is coming out in April, I quoted the blog piece from another author. I didn't know who this author was when I quoted him. I just thought he was a blogger. Well, I found out he was, his name is Paulo Coelho, who wrote The Alchemist, which is the top-selling oh, wow. work of fiction of all time. And uh, I didn't know that's who he was. And all of a sudden, I had to get permission to use his blog piece. Well, do you know how hard it is to get a hold of a guy who's written the best-selling work Probably of fiction of like all time? Twelve people between you right, and, him. <laughs> and he lives in Brazil. And so I had to get permission to use this in my book. And all of a sudden, I'm like, "Oh my gosh, how am I going to do this?" And so uh, I had to figure out how to contact him. And I eventually did. I contacted him over Twitter, and he responded and said, "Yeah, you can use my thing in your book." But along the way, I learned about some of his story, and he wrote The Alchemist. Uh, initially as a, a young writer, and uh, they they made 500 copies of it or so at this little publisher, and none of them sold. So he spent the next seven years trying to get another publisher to publish his book. I mean, this is like a failure. There, there's no doubt about it. I'm an author. I know lots of authors. When this happens, that book's no good. So he spent seven years, finally got a bigger publisher, and that bigger publisher decided to publish it, and it becomes the best-selling work of fiction of all time after seven years of this. That's a great story. It's an incredible story, but as an author, you think, uh, God, why hasn't that happened to one of my books? <laughs> and you, and it's insidious. It just kind of worms its way in there. And what happens in my soul or your soul, whatever your marker is, when you start to go down that path? You start to eat yourself from the inside out. It's like the termites attack. And the the only antidote to this is to recalibrate and say, nope, it doesn't matter what Paulo Coelho's story is. That's his story. My story is my story, and Jesus, you're working in my story. Whether, whether this happens to me or not doesn't matter. It only matters the story that you're telling in me and my acceptance of that story. And the acceptance comes from accepting his good heart. So that's by way of you know the takeaway the, the, today. One of the things that that uh, I mentioned last week is to do a slow journey through the the Gospel of Mark between now and Christmas. Just paying attention to everything Jesus says and does. Just slow down and pay better attention. Just in the Gospel of Mark, the shortest Gospel. Well, one of the purposes of that is to come 
to understand and embrace and honor the heart of Jesus. And if you're able to do that, then these comparisons kind of melt away. I'm able to say inside, I know how good you are, Jesus, so I'm not really that interested in comparing my life to other lives now. I'm just only interested in what you're doing in my life, because I see how good you are. The, the more good you see in him, the less apt you are to compare yourself to others. So I, I would mention this again. Uh, from now until Christmas, just do a slow journey through the Gospel of Mark. Get to know Jesus' heart, so that, he, because he said, I've come not just to bring the kingdom, but I am the, am the kingdom. So as you get to know him, you're getting to know what the kingdom is all about by paying attention to what he says and does. And the deeper you go in him, the less apt you are to compare yourself to others. You know, while we're on the topic of the holidays, kind of as part of our practical wrap-up of this episode, these two parables are such a great thing to think about as you're heading into a season where it's all about comparison, Really, I mean, you want to, if you're hosting, you want to impress people with your home, you want to impress people with your cooking, you want to have the right kinds of decorations in your neighborhood, you might be competing to be the best aunt and have the best gifts for your you know, nieces and nephews, or, or maybe you're a grandparent and you want to outdo the other grandparents, um, if you're a... You know, if you're a parent, you might want to, you don't want your kids to go back to school and be like, well, I didn't, Joe Joe and Susie got 10 more presents than you guys gave me. And so it's a really, it's a season where we can get really wrapped up in comparison and start to think about, you know, we overspend, we let ourselves overspend and, and make reckless decisions financially because of this. So this is a good time to think about what part of comparison do I need to let go of this season? Um, and I think the other message, the the first parable that we did is thinking about this holiday season, what would it look like to, to have a Christmas where you were chasing after the one instead of the 99? Oh, There's I love that. one million things to do. And actually, we have a really great holiday planner that's available right now. We'll put a link of it into this description. And there's a section of it Um, where our friend Steph wrote a section called Mary versus Martha Christmas. (laughs) And she has a whole suggestion. This This one is my favorite. Instead of having a big grand Christmas party with all your friends, invite your friends over for a Christmas wrapping party and order pizza. You know, so it's it's a comparison of what would it look like to have a, a holiday season that's more like Mary and less like Martha. Hmm. So that might be a great thing for you to download. But just start praying. Maybe there's somebody this holiday spe- season that you need to bless. Maybe there's someone who needs to be blessed with your time. Maybe your kids, instead of running around and being super busy, maybe actually what they need is a slowdown vacation. Yeah, who's who's the sheep caught in the brambles yeah. in who's your life? Yeah, who's the person? And maybe it's you. Maybe it's you. Maybe you need to make some time for yourself because you are constantly running, running, running. So that, yeah, that really those good. are really good things for you to think about as you go into the holiday season. We also have a really fun announcement to tell you. Last week, we sold out of Jesus Centered Planners, the ones that we can sell to you directly. So you can't buy a Jesus Centered Planner from us right now, where you can buy them still at Lifeway or Amazon or Christian Book Distributor Online, CBD Online. But we were really excited. This was the first year we did the Jesus Centered Planner. It's you know part of 
this process that we've been through for the last few years with Jesus-centered life and applying it to you. So if you want to get a Jesus-centered planner, you better hurry because they're going to go fast. So Amazon, Lifeway, Christian um, book distributors, don't wait till January. I don't think we'll have them. Just another way to is sort of immerse your life, even the way you plan your life, around a, a central focus of Jesus. Just one last thought before we go here. Becky had brought up before we started the podcast today that another way to translate this into practicality in your everyday life is a, a greater dependence on the Holy Spirit in your everyday life. Uh, and she pointed out, I thought this was really a wise insight, that these things that Jesus is pointing out that are kingdom of God values, it's not limited to just what we found in the Bible. That the Holy Spirit has come to extend His message into our everyday life, so a dependence on the Holy Spirit in the everyday ways that we live our lives is, is very important. We have a, a podcast also that we did, how, how do you know the will of God, and how do you follow the Spirit? We'll try to find links to those, so that if you're interested in, in listening to that one, uh, what, what does it look like in an everyday way to follow the guidance of the Spirit in your, in your life? That's uh, also a way to advance the kingdom of God in your everyday life. So the idea here is to... Uh, embrace these Kingdom of God values, and then find pragmatic ways to advance those in your everyday life that are contrary to the the values and the culture that we live in, so that we are really salt and light in, in the world. So you'll find many of those kinds of values if you slow down in Mark and pay attention to what Jesus is trying to say and do. Any last word before we uh, sign off here? No, just if, you know, you're, we're heading into the last month of the year. And so we're, 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 we're going to actually be releasing our best of episodes. So you're going to be getting to get a chance to we're you know, we're, we'll add anything that we think, oh, wow, you know, I wish we would have um, talked about this when we did that episode. Um, but Rick and I are going to kind of record around some of our best um, episodes of 2017. This is also a great time to think about joining the pigs. The pigs is from chapter five of Jesus Centered Life how to live a pig life. And that's uh, because pigs go all in. Um, and this is a group of people who have decided to go all in for Jesus. And they share life together through a Facebook commun community that is completely private. And they pray for each other. They talk about stories of Jesus that perplex them. And they share other videos and different things that they see that they think are like Jesus. And it's a great place to be. So maybe that's where you need to be in 2018. So if you want to learn more about joining the pigs, you can find the link in the description from whatever platform you're listening to. Also, we are trying to get reviews on iTunes. So if you are an iTunes listener, we would love it if you would go and give us a review on iTunes. That's something that we haven't really ever asked for, but we would love for you to do that um, this month for us. Hey, uh, we think of you as friends in our community. Um, and the pigs page is a way to to make the circle complete with that so we get to actually interact with you. So please do. And thanks for listening. And remember that you can find out more information about everything we talked about today on the JesusCenterLife.com page. If you're looking for the podcast section and Season 2, Episode 46, we hope uh, you've had uh, a wonderful Thanksgiving time with, with your family as you move through Thanksgiving and are looking ahead to Advent. We're with you. We, uh, we're, we think about you every day, and uh, we're looking forward to hearing from you. If, you. if you do land on that Pigs page, we'd love to know your story. So again, this is Paying Ridiculous Attention to Jesus. It's a podcast from Lifetree. 
You can subscribe to us on iTunes for all the latest podcasts, and we'll talk to you next time. Bye.